Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 35 of the F1 show for the 2008 European Grand Prix. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Loud. We had the first ever Grand Prix on this brand new street circuit in Valencia. Felipe Massa makes it stick in Spain, once again dominating the weekend and winning the European Grand Prix. His fourth win of the season puts him second in the championship, six points behind the McLaren driver, Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton, for his part, finished second and helped McLaren continue to catch Ferrari in the Constructors' Championship. Robert Kubica finished where he started in third, his best performance since his win in Canada. Kovalainen did well to come home fourth and truly did the same for Toyota, finishing fifth. Sebastian Vettel made the most of his Ferrari-powered Toro Rosso to finish sixth. Glock followed in seventh, leaving one single point left over for Nico Rosberg, snagging eighth in his Williams Toyota. Well, Jim, in terms of pure racing, Valencia was on the boring side, but it wasn't a boring race. Well, it had a couple of big moments. Um, most notably, well, first of all, a huge disappointment for the Spanish fans. Lap one, like halfway through the lap, um, Fernando Alonso was run into from behind by uh, Kaz Nakajima, which puts him out of the race for the whole rest of the day. That's just got to suck if you're yeah. a Spanish fan. He didn't and even finish a full half lap, I think it was. And basically what happened is Nakajima entering the braking zone, Hit Alonso hard enough to knock the rear, ring, rear wing loose and probably bent his exhaust manifold and maybe a couple of suspension bits, and it just it compounded to something not worth fixing and having him even going out. So, so Alonso just had to park it. So that was at the very very beginning, um, and then uh, yeah, I mean throughout the day there were there were uh, Massa basically just had uh, had the rest of the field going. Uh, Hamilton just you know was was just losing time a little bit every lap. Um, Although I, I didn't realize this at the time until actually after the race, but uh, Hamilton was in actually really poor health, and the, their test driver, Pedro de la Rosa, was ready to step into the car. I mean, there was definitely, right up until before the race started, some question whether or not Hamilton would even be racing. So uh, we can't say how much of an effect that had, but clearly, um, I mean, you know, Hamilton ended up second, so it wasn't a disaster by any means. It actually improved his lead in the, uh, in the championship. Um, but uh, still, just... Uh, you know, disappointment from Hamilton. Um, you know, we both had picked Hamilton to to do strongly here, and, yep. uh, and he yep. did well, but not obviously didn't win. And, and but Massa just walked away from the rest of the field. Uh, but then the other excitement, the exciting uh, event was Kimi Raikkonen's lump just uh, just disintegrating um, with you know as the second engine failure in a row uh, for for Ferrari is just a huge problem for them. Well, that was actually part of three Ferrari mishaps this race. Yep. Uh, one involving Massa, which uh, ended up just costing some money, and then Raikkonen having two problems, one bigger than the other. Um, but I want to start with Massa. I mean, he just owned this racetrack. He he had a convincing pole uh, Saturday, and then just like uh, just like last race in Hungary, he got around uh, Hamilton and was gone. Well, this race he had no one to get around in the first place, and he just left everybody. In his dust, and I mean quite literally his dust. It was a brand new track. It was really dusty. Yep. Um, but Massa seemed to figure this place out better and faster than just about anybody else. Yeah, including Kimi Räikkönen in, in what should be an identical car. But uh, yeah, I mean Massa is just continuing to be really hot and cold with uh, with his performances. I mean we've seen even just in Silverstone a couple weeks ago. Um, you know he had five spins. Um, yeah. And yep. and then you know earlier in the year with the problems in Australia, it's just it's. I don't know what it is about Massa or if it's the car setup. Sometimes it just, you know, doesn't suit his style well enough or 
you know, whatever, if it's, con- you know, changing weather conditions that the Ferrari team isn't doesn't handle so well or what. But, man, when it works, the combination is unbeatable. I mean, he was just, he was just, you know, Hamilton was never really challenging uh, Massa yeah. for, for the lead of the race. I completely agree with you that Massa's hot and cold, and when he's hot, he's he's very, very good. He he seems to really, uh, really relish these uh, single lap qualifying, you know, knockout qualifying, which essentially comes down to a single lap. He He's very strong. Always has been. He's always been a better qualifier than a racer, but his racecraft has been really good as of late. But again, he is emotional, and just as quickly as he rises up, he has one bad thing happen to him that seems to affect him for uh, multiple races. He's he's very hot and cold, and I'm curious to see if he can keep this up. If he can, I think he'll be world champion. Yeah, I mean, well, Lewis Hamilton is still out in front with it with points. I mean, Lewis has 70 points to uh, Felipe 64. Um, who's really losing out? I mean, Kimi with with zero points today is back down with fifty seven points. I mean, yeah. he's he's back there now. Not that yeah. that can't be made up, but there's nothing suggesting that Lewis Hamilton is going to be falling off form for the rest of the for the rest of the season. So, uh, you know, Raikkonen's really got the one who's got to step it up. Yeah, um, we we need to talk about Raikkonen a bit. But he, well, but with Massa though, just keeping on that for a second. Sure. Um, with uh, the pit lane release was where uh, Giancarlo Fisichella, I believe it was, was in the was in the pits in the uh, Force India car. And he's lap traffic at that point. You know, he's yeah. not on the lead lap. Um, and uh, and then uh, the Ferrari team, um, with their you know very high tech computerized lighting system, they don't have a, a lollipop guy with a uh, with a brakes on board who lifts up the lollipop to let the car go. They have a sophisticated system of lights. So as soon as the fuel guy pulls the rig off of the car, the light turns green and the driver can go and pull out into the pit lane. And the way the timing worked out this time, uh, Fisichella was right there, and uh, Massa almost got into the to the back corner of. Uh, of Fisichella's car, so they're actually side by side for a couple of seconds until yep. it went to the uh, the pit exit, which goes down to like one lane with not a whole lot of room on either side yeah, for the car. Very I mean, very narrow pit out in Valencia, and that leads to two points. First, that's a very interesting setup that Ferrari has. Uh, basically, what they're trying to do is cut out the chief mechanic's reaction time to the gas man yep. lifting that because there's three or four tenths of reaction time before the chief mechanic actually lifts the lollipop so that cuts out one human reaction time element which mm-hmm. they think is worth about three tenths um and but the other thing that it takes away is the human complex brain that can do more things at once i mean this light system is just sensor driven yeah it doesn't have a sensor for is there someone coming down the track exactly and i guess the question is even if there were someone coming down the track we have seen some side-by-side pit exits before and and in some pit lanes it's long enough or short enough you know or or wide enough i should say where you can get back out on track and it's kind of be side by side then it's kind of a drag race and the guy with the better engine or better traction can can get ahead that is not the case in valencia though and luckily Massa did back off um to avoid you know crashing his car under the wall um but um the FIA looked at it and they said, uh, you know, Massa didn't gain any advantage from doing that. You know, that wasn't a pass. It wasn't like it was for position one way or the other. Sure. Um, that it was unsafe to, you know, almost cause a crash. So uh, he was, you know, the Ferrari team was fined ten thousand um, dollars. But you know, I think that's good that he doesn't have a grid spot penalty for next weekend. Sure. It wasn't like impeding someone else in qualifying sure. or something like that, which, you know, can sometimes uh, carry some bigger penalties. So. It's that's handled. You know, there was a point in the race where I was kind of hoping they would have uh, he would have maybe a drive-through penalty for that, just for you know causing an unsafe situation, which would hand Lewis Hamilton the race. Um, but uh, that did not happen. So you know, <laughs> well, Massa earned it today, though. He, I mean, he, he, really he absolutely did. did. But I do have to, the one thing that I didn't like is that Massa, after in the post-race interview, blamed 
Fisichella a little bit for that, saying, oh, well, he's just lap traffic. He really should have slowed down. It's like, well, Fisichella actually was slightly in front when you pulled out, and if anything, you should have given way, which is which is exactly what the FIA is saying is, look, you really should have given way here, not not uh, Fisichella. Fisichella got out of his way as soon as he could per the rules, so he didn't impede your race at all. That was just the circumstances. So I didn't like Massa's reaction, although his reaction might have been a little bit of PR trying to you know shift the topic away from Ferrari's fault to maybe something another driver did. But either way, I thought that was poor form. Absolutely, and uh, I, I don't think Fisichella can be responsible because I mean he's going down the pit lane, and you know you can you can see whether a car is in a pit stall or not with all, all the mechanics around it. But to know, you know, which car is that? Who did I come in here behind? And who's where is he? Okay, he's a lap ahead of me. You know, just to, to make all that decision, and then to know to back off while you're already on the pit lane speed limit, and you know the split second in which this all happens. I don't think he should be responsible for that. You know, whoever's in front should be able to stay on in front. So ultimately, Massa did the right thing by by backing off, but not by complaining about it. So I agree with you on that. Sure, sure. So anyway, uh, kudos to you, Massa. It was a brilliant race. Uh, we're still a little skeptical of your championship uh, winning abilities, but we are happy to see you prove us wrong. Uh, but that leads us to the other Ferrari driver of Raikkonen, yeah. who has been under some scrutiny. I've been defending him throughout that scrutiny, but it's it's been a few races now where he's been a little ho-hum, a little bit of an underachiever here, and it is starting to get a little old. It, it really is. I mean, he qualified fourth today, which is not bad. I mean, you know, behind Robert Kubica in the uh, in the BMW, um, but you know, but uh, looks like what, but over a half second off of um, off of Felipe's time, um, and uh, but again, late, what it's weird. You know, he's, he was going along. He uh, wasn't really making any passes. I mean, it's it's hard to pass here because it's a street circuit. There's you know, not well, a real yeah, wide I, track. I want to talk about that later. Next but, to no one passed on track. Yeah, there was very little. Uh, I think there was one. Uh, Heike Kovalainen made a pass uh, over. But Nick Heidfeld, right? To, At the uh, very beginning her. of the race, Heike Kovalainen actually passed Raikkonen. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, uh, but, uh, I mean, Kimi was just kind of going along, you know, just doing his thing, right? You know, making, t- making laps. But um, sort of what, three quarters of the way through the, through the race, he seemed to really pick it up. Um, and and really start you know getting the fire back underneath him for for some reason, which is typical. I mean, we've seen that before too. Yeah, and there's there's no. I mean, I, I guess I don't know if if he is really sort of just you know losing interest, so he's not as hungry and and sort of motivated as he once was. But then maybe you know the engineers get on him on the race and say, oh, you know, on the radio and tell him, oh, if you push this much, you can catch this guy or whatever it, it really is. But it, it's like he's you know only goes when he's when he's pushed to do so but he, he doesn't have the motivation himself or something anymore yeah and i still don't buy that entirely but there, there's definitely something going on where he should be fighting to win races more closely than he is and he should not be letting Massa show so much more performance than him and he made a pretty critical mistake today in his pit stop and this came just a few laps you know, fifteen. It came a little while after Massa's pit stop, yeah. where you know he actually ended up pulling out of his pits early before the fuel rig had even been pulled mm-hmm. and knocking out one of his crew members, her, yeah, like, injuring like, three crew members. One of them was carried away on a stretcher. We we believe that he's okay, and <laughs> and uh, and then you know it was later found it was there's this three light uh, little scope like a stoplight for the Ferrari instead of the chief mechanic, and he left early. He, he jumped it. Yep, he, uh, when, when the 
the lights were telling him to get his car in gear, and he took off on the yellow instead of on the green. So, uh, you know, that was found to be his his fault. Um, he admitted, he says, yeah, that's that was just my error. I took off too soon. Um, but it definitely created an unsafe situation. And this has kind of re-raised this. I mean, combined with the fuel fires and the problems we had in the last race, has sort of reopened the debate on fueling in Formula One because there's just so much potential for danger uh, and so much, you know, this is a, another situation where the fuel, you know, the fuel rig is still on the car and it's, the guy just starts driving away. And, you know, these cars get up and going quickly and they're knocking people over. There's a this big fuel hose. There's so many people around the car these days that uh, it's really easy for, you know, people are running into each other and, and, and just, you know, the car starts pulling away. And thankfully, Kimi did stop pretty quickly. He realized what had happened. But um, it's just such an unsafe situation. And, uh, you know, this before before my time in Formula One anyway, um, you know, there was no refueling for 10 years. And uh, it really sort of changed the character of the race where they did have to still come in for tires. Um, but it really, obviously, the attitudes of all the cars changed heavily where they had set up the suspension to compromise for the, the full weight of the car with a full fuel, a whole race distance worth of fuel on board. You know, to when they got empty, the cars changed a whole lot. And it, I think, put more in the hands of the drivers. Um, so... I'm not sure where. I mean, I guess I'd have to go back and look at some old footage with how the racing played out with uh, without any fueling, you know, with any, without any pit stops involving fuel. But uh, as a safety issue, I definitely think it's something they should look at because this is, you know, more more problems uh, just related to attaching and unattaching this big rig from the car, sure. and, and then that the, the whole thing is flammable, and that the cars and the exhaust and everything else is so hot, and that there's so many people around there that can be, you know, potentially caught on fire and all these things. It's it's definitely something to look at. Yeah, I agree. It, I don't know. I feel like that might be a little bit overblown. I, they put so much time and effort into keeping everybody in the crew safe. I mean, after all, every single crew member out there is wearing a full three-layer safety Nomex suit. They got most of them have helmets on, and there's a lot of safety put into it. Uh, so, could there be room for more safety? Absolutely, but should they completely change the rules and stop refueling again? I I don't know about that yet. I mean. Especially keep in mind they've got some pretty serious revamping of the aerodynamics coming on next year. They have the curves coming on next year. So changing so much of the racing, changing too many things at once, I think, is a bad play. And I don't know. I don't feel like there's been any massive – there's no, been no big fire since that 1994 fire when yeah. the re- refueling first came about. So I don't think uh, I don't think they should sweep change, but they should definitely keep an eye on it and see if they can't tweak here, improve there, maybe make a tighter, I mean, there, there could be some simple steps in terms of the actual, when does the fuel actually open and come on, and when these different mechanical structures open up that they could improve. I yeah, think. they could make it impossible for fuel to shoot out of the hose onto a fire, for example, which we right. have seen happen, and thankfully there's, you know, part of the, so, so many people that are around the car, some of them have fuel extinguishers, and, you know, the, with the fires we have seen recently, they've been put out pretty well, but it's still... Just the potential for for disaster is right there, and yeah. um, I guess that's just you know part of they have to look at how much does that add to the racing um, and the, sort of the sport and the entertainment of it, um, and how much does that you know put people's safety in, in jeopardy. But uh, right, so anyway, shortly after uh, this well, pit stop, oh, hold on though, actually, okay. there's one more point to this, which goes back to Ferrari's you know way of pit exiting strategy that might need a more serious uh, uh, examination because. The thing that I saw, it almost seemed like it was a drag strip Christmas tree where you have red, yellow, green, and you know a good drag racer always goes on the on the second yellow. Yeah, you don't wait for green because you don't you wait, wait for green. green you go on the low. second. What, was Kimi trying to anticipate the green? Yep. And and jumped it that way. And if that is 
inducing the drivers to try to do a drag start kind of anticipate when it's going to go green maybe that's what needs to be banned yeah not necessarily refueling and maybe maybe a closer look because all these cars have onboard cameras so it was really obvious what had happened as soon as they replayed the footage from the onboard camera they say oh the light's yellow and he starts moving so it was it was really clear who was at fault there whereas with the pit boards even um there's some debate as you know as soon as the guy starts moving as soon as it's you know moving up you know because it's because it's humans involved you know sometimes they put the pit board and put it back down they'll lift it up and put it back down because they did it by accident you know there's a lot of error there but with the lights it's it's pretty cut and dry as to when you know when was the lights when did the light change and when did the guy uh, get on the gas so maybe if that system were more standardized there could be uh you know a pretty simple um you know, enforcement for that to, to know because they know how long the pit stops are. They've just, got these timing just like loops. the NHRA, just like the NHRA, they can penalize much, yeah. someone for jumping the start. Exactly. So you can know whether they're trying to gain advantage and and risking safety that way. I, I agree that could be definitely something to look into. But anyway, once Kimi did get underway, once they got you know, so he was delayed probably what, maybe eight or ten seconds in the pits. You know, they, at least they, they pulled I would the, say more like twenty probably. They uh, they pulled the uh, the rig off of his car and he was he was able to to go on and uh, lost a bunch of positions there, but. Um, so he gets back out on track, and not long after, um, his the engine blammo. just gives up on him. Yeah, and uh, in spectacular fashion. And there's some question as to whether this is related to Felipe Massa's you know, massive engine failure a race ago, or whether this had had to do with um, sitting still for as long as he did in the pits, because the, the cooling of an F1 car is entirely dependent on, on air going in through the radiators and all that. It cannot sit idle um, especially not you know holding holding revs like for a launch um, for very long at all. They're they're really not uh, made for that. So um, if if it was um, related to Massa's engine failure, and there's there's no clear link to say that it is yet, but uh, that that to me says there's there's more going on with engine development than is being led on because supposedly these engines are frozen and, and have been all year that there's no uh, engine you know development going on. They're not making things faster, but there is a loophole that says their teams are allowed to change engine components and, and make modifications For to make things more reliable, to make more reliable and safer. Yeah. Um, Which so seems, seems like a huge, huge uh, mistake on the FAA's part. It's like, of course, everything you do to an engine can be made more reliable you know, it's it's going to be more more reliable for winning if it has more horsepower. Yeah, and you know, it's it's pretty easy. Oh yeah, if we change this belt to that size, then this makes everything more reliable. And, and you know, I don't know who um, or what engineering body determines you know what makes an engine more reliable and what you know if they if they do dynos to make sure it's the same performance or you know how that's enforced. But it seems like it maybe isn't um, being enforced very well right now. And there is um, sort of this gray area where there's, you know, are you following the letter of the law or the spirit of the law or both, where you can follow the letter of the law and still be, um, you know, developing your engine and adding, quote-unquote, reliability modifications. Um, but if you're following the spirit of the law um, of that rule, you shouldn't be, you know, gaining unfair advantage. But it seems like um, with these two engine failures really close to each other, um, after, you know, seeing so few engine failures all, all year, and especially at a Ferrari, it really seems like maybe there is some work being done there. Um, that uh, you know that is pushing the envelope a little bit more, and the irony is, if they were supposedly uh, changes for reliability's sake, obviously that's uh, that's not not working out for them. Right, and I have you know my opinion on this is, if a Formula One team isn't trying to break the spirit of the law, then he's not. Then that Formula One team is not doing a very good job. I mean, it's it's up to the FIA to make the rules, and it's up to the Formula One teams to find a way around them. I mean, I think that's kind of the fun of it for me. Is that well? The law says th- the rule says this, but you know, if we come up with this trick little thing, 
and actually we can get the same thing. So breaking the spirit of the law, I'm not concerned with. Now, if they're breaking the letter of the law, that is a different story entirely. And also, you know, Ferrari could just as easily say, yeah, we made this change for reliability and we were wrong. So that's the end of that. I don't know. If it seems like it'd be fairly hard to prove that Ferrari was actually breaking the letter of the law. Depending it, it, it on how be, they in but fact then, determine But then how that. do they enforce that law? I mean, how do you have a law and say, oh, well, this is illegal, but we don't really have any way of proving that you did or didn't break this law. So Which goes back to why do they have that in there in the first place? Yeah. If you're, gonna, if you're going to freeze engine, why would you say, oh, but you can change it for liability? That seems silly to me. I agree, but then the other problem is, you know, especially near the end of last year, when especially I think Honda was having so many engine problems, um, the fear was – you know, what if we have a crappy engine now, and then this is the engine that goes into the freeze? We're just going to be stuck with a crappy engine for the next two years or whatever. Then, well, what happens is exactly what happened: is Honda's down on horsepower by twenty-five, fifty horsepower to the best. Honda's engine is probably one of the worst compared to the best. They might be down well over twenty-five horsepower. Yeah, and that's just the way it is. So that's what they get for following the spirit of the law. <laughs> I guess that's uh, that's a shame. But either way, that uh, obviously hurts Kimi's championship bid hugely to score zero points today and have to retire his car in the uh, the last third of the race. Um, but surprisingly few retirements this weekend. I mean, we had Alonso out at the very beginning with that crash. Um, we had Kimi, like we just talked about, with the uh, with the engine failure and Glock, and then uh, and Adrian Sutil. Sutil, um, I'm sorry. On uh, you know after completing 41 laps, um, just kind of straight lines I just got a curve wrong or you know I don't quite know what happened with him he lapsed in concentration a little bit or what but he basically just understeered off the road and hit the barriers not not too hard but enough to end his day well yeah it was interesting actually uh, Alonzo was interviewed before the race or I think even before qualifying and said that braking stability is very important at this track and I think he was I think he was very uh, accurate in saying so because I believe it was a braking stability issue that caused Sutil to go off and yeah. we saw a couple of incidents where people uh, people got loose under braking, entering corners and stuff. And obviously, you have not much more than concrete walls at the end of the track in most places here, and so there's little room for error. Yeah, um, and not to mention, as soon as you get off the racing line, there's a huge amount of dust, and especially near the end of the race, you've got so much rubber offline and everything. It's you know definitely it's sort of a combination of factors that if uh, things go a little bit wrong, it's you know pretty easy that they'll uh, they'll go very wrong for you under braking, especially in this track. That being said. Um, this track for a street circuit is remarkably long, and it, it did have more runoff area than most street circuits do. I'm thinking uh, Monaco. Uh, obviously, there's very there's some runoff here and there, but very little. Yeah. Uh, truthfully, there's a little bit in Casino Corner. There's a little bit at the end of Turn One, but that's really about it. And then uh, then tracks like Long Beach uh, here in California, here in California, here in the states. Yeah. Um, and uh, even even some of the newer ones like St. Petersburg, you know, there's there's not much. It's it's pretty much the course, and it's narrower and thinner. And and the difference is, I think this track is fairly high speed for a street circuit. It is, and also it sounds like it was designed. Um, the uh, the commission that that runs this uh, you know, harbor in uh, Valencia, they have the you know the America's Cup race uh, that goes out of there and all that. Um, they they designed the streets with the street circuit in mind, which is usually not the case. Usually right, they sure. take what's there and try to make a circuit out of it. So some of these corners were unlike the kind of things you normally get on a street circuit, um, which which made it interesting. I mean, it's sort of a you know high cross between a road circuit, like something like Melbourne or uh, more like Montreal. Know, yeah, um, where it's it's yeah they're city streets and the, you know the grip is relatively low and all that, but it's it's still not used uh, 
you know, it's still designed as a as a racetrack ultimately. Which means perhaps there's a trip to Valencia in our future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, could be. Uh, you know, look like look like pretty good times and uh, pretty neat place to go. I want to talk a little bit about Sebastian Vettel. Yes, he is quite quite good. This guy. He did really well this weekend, especially Friday and Saturday. He finished sixth in the race yeah. in a Toro Rosso. And to be fair, uh, you know, Sebastian Bourdais finished tenth. Oh no, finished ninth. And it's tenth. Was it tenth or ninth? Now I'm looking here and I don't see it. Sebastian Bourdais was tenth. He finished tenth, and so he did. He did reasonably well. Yep. Uh, that's one of his better performances. But Vettel finishing sixth. Well, Vettel had quite, the, quite the, good. The second fastest time in Q1, second only to Yarno Truly. Somehow, Yarno Truly had like a brilliant lap. Yeah, Yarno Truly had brief, mode, but Vettel he was fast in Friday practice. Yeah, he was fast in qualifying, and he was competitive in the race. And he, there were times where he, his times were faster than Raikkonen's. Um, you know, he he was never really in a position to be passed. If anything, he was looking to pass people. And he he's he might be twenty not twenty one now, but I think he's still twenty. Anyway, he's a, he's a youngin, yeah. And, and the fact that he signed for Red Bull next year, I think, is a bit of a shame. He could really, I think, he deserves to be in a top team. He really could, and it's it's these kind of times where you know it's, it's rare, but um, we have a brand new circuit, so everyone is at least you know relatively new to it. Nobody has uh, simulation data for this track already. Um, that's lower grip because there was rainstorms every night, so all the rubber that they'd laid down all all through the days, and especially on Friday where there's very little rubber to, to go there anyway, you know everyone's kind of on more of an even footing than than usual. Uh, Vettel comes out really well, so when there's these equalizers around um, to uh, where everyone's kind of you know struggling against the same challenges, uh, Vettel seems to make really good use of it, and that kind of takes the car out of the equation a little bit. So it does lend some credence to um, to Vettel being sort of one of the you know hot commodities as far as as far as drivers. But uh, Yeah, and a- as we said, Sebastian Bourdais actually performed rather well, too. They both made it into Q3 qualifying uh, yesterday. Um, and part of that is being, uh, ironically enough, uh, uh, taken into account for the Ferrari engines that power the Toro Rosas compared to the Renault engines that power the Red Bull cars. Yep. Uh, they were faster than the senior Red Bull cars, and yeah, it was it, horsepower is certainly part of it, and... So it's a little bit ironic because it helped the Toro Rosso cars out quite a bit. And if you looked at the uh, the uh, speed trap times uh, at the end of the straight, it was the f- Ferrari cars, then the Toro Rosso cars that were the top four. And then the Force Indias, which are also powered by Ferraris. Yeah, so, so there's that. But, yeah, I, I, think Vettel, I think Vettel did a very good job, and I'm sure we're not the only ones taking a closer look at him. Yeah, and the, the thing is with the driver market is that um, – any predictions people make for who may go where for next year all hinge on what's Alonso going to do. I mean, that's still the biggest question because it's pretty widely known that he's been in talks with different teams. Yep. Uh, Honda's talked about putting up you know millions of dollars for him. Um, he's, there's been rumors about Kimi Räikkönen may leave Ferrari and that he may go there. But um, it's still that's you know until we know where Alonso is going to be, um, it just is a huge question mark as to who you know. Where where anyone else may go, you know, any sure. of the other talks are changing teams. There hasn't really been any other, um, haven't been other announcements really, except uh, you know this Vettel going to Red Bull thing, which is not a big surprise. He's in the junior team; he does really well. They take him to the senior team. Yep. Whether absolutely. that's a step up or not well, remains to be seen. But um, well, he's got Adrian Newey. Yep. So that's one thing going for him. Yeah, but we'll see uh, if they still have Renault engines. And it, yeah, and it's still until you know Alonso has a deal, you know, signed and officially released and all that. It's kind of hard to say. Um, 
who else you know who else is going to go after whom in, in this in this driver race. But uh, it would be good to see Sebastian Vettel move up. Uh, but if he's in the Red Bull car, maybe next year's Red Bull car will be really good and life will be great for him. But it's uh, it'd be too bad to see him languish another year while he's still uh, got that youth of his uh, <laughs> to languish another year in a, in a slower team. Well, uh, let me ask you this: What do you think of the track as a whole? I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, as the um, because it's a, such a new, I mean, just brand new pavement and all that. There weren't uh, some of like what you've got in, in Monaco and some of these places where there's differing um, pavement, some places and concrete and some big bumps. And especially I like, think about like in Long Beach and all these, and these other road courses like in the U.S. where there's sort of just a lot of problems or potential problems. Or even in Monaco where there's that famous dip in the uh, and the asphalt and everyone's got to go around to avoid it. You know, it's it's a lot more like a real circuit. Um, Obviously, not much in the way of elevation change, but the setting looked really, really nice. I mean, with the boats in the cool. harbor right there, it was a lot like Monaco with the you know beautiful sea right there and everything. And the single bridge, which was interesting. Yeah, and the, the one bridge, the, the whole track kind of goes around this uh, little marina kind of harbor area. So it was a really cool layout. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, but so little passing. That's, that, that's the crux of it right there. Yeah. It's, I mean, if we look at the the... the podium um, at the end of the race was exactly the same as the podium when they started. I mean, yep. one, two, and three ended all how they started, um, and it would have and, gone, and, you and know. Had Raikkonen not gone out, uh, the only difference would have been Kovalainen above Raikkonen. Yep. And uh, the other thing about it, it's this three-and-a-half-mile track, longer track, 25 turns. Yeah. Too much. It was pretty Too wild. Much. Yeah, there was very little in the way of straights, um, and, and, it, and it looked like there were a couple places, uh, Alonzo was talking about this, where you come up on a series of corners, and because there are so many corners, and they all have basically the same barriers on the outside, and the drivers sit so low, they can't always see the, the buildings and trees and other yeah. landmarks, that you can actually get lost. You know, if, if you're sort of out of rhythm a little bit or, or lose concentration, um, you may think you're in, you know, one series of corners when actually you're in a different one and, you know, get things wrong. And uh, we didn't see any, any big uh, crashes or anything, you know, as a result of that. But, uh, you know, it's, it's – I, I think it's, it's nice to watch – um, as far as, uh, you know, just a cool setting and a nice-looking track. And uh, it's, it's always cool to see something new, honestly. Sure. And I, was like, I was looking forward sure. to it in that. Uh, but ultimately, yeah, the, the action on track was, it was know, lacking. there were like three passes in the whole race. And, and uh, when you have 25 corners, even though it's a longer track, there's whenever there's a turn, there's basically more or less a single-file way to get through that corner the fastest. You need straights and braking zones to have, yeah. you know, different options for good ways to go around, and you need width for the drivers to have confidence to take an outer line and uh, and try to make a pass. And there's just nothing here that you can do that. A lot of it is flowing corners, which are great with one car, but it's, it's like really a great, tough. It's like a great track to drive, but maybe not a great track to race. Exactly. Like, good to, you know, develop a car. Like, for example, the, the last turn, I guess turn 25, um, before the start-finish line, um, the braking zone for that is out of a series of, of, of S's, which are all flat. Like, you've got this whole series of, like, five or six corners in a row where um, you've got one of the hairpins, um, and then you've got about five corners. It's this left, right, left, right, uh, big sort of sweeping S's, and then you've got the main braking zone before the front straight. So there's really no way someone could mount a pass in there right. and uh, and then pass someone and get a good toe, and then, you know, it's, right. it's just and you can't, really you tough. Know, on the pit straight, there, turn one is quite quick. There's no real good place to pass at the end of the pit straight or anything yeah. like that. And so it's kind of a shame. The other thing is the, the, the debris buildup. On outside of the line was awful at this race. Yeah, and I think that was due to two things: one, it was a new track, and two, they brought their softest tires to the track, and they'd be more likely to actually, you know, to to shed tire rubber more quickly and things like that. But 
as a result, I was a bit underwhelmed by the race as a whole. Yeah, well, I guess, so this is the European Grand Prix, not the Spanish Grand Prix. That already happened. And it's going to be here every other year, alternating with, is it Nürburgring or Hockenheim? The other uh, German race. Ooh, I think Hockenheim. Yeah, so um, it's, you know, I guess this will be an every other year um, yeah, cause event. I think, I think the, well, I'm not sure that, uh, I think now, now I'm getting a little confused here because I thought the German Grand Prix were going to switch between Nürburgring I'm and I'm pretty sure it's else. the European. I'm pretty sure Valencia. I guess we'll have to check on that. Yeah, okay, but, more uh, on that later. But, uh, I mean, yeah, ultimately, um, well, we've got, I mean, we've got some brilliant races coming up with, with Spa, Franco Schaub, and be Monza, fantastic. you know, some of these other cars. And, and those are tracks where they're faster. The BMWs can do, do well and, uh, you know, potentially be some spoilers for the championship points. So that's a little bit more exciting. So ultimately, we did have some pretty big events um, in terms of the engine failure and some of the pit stop things. But, you know, very little really great action on track. You know, none of these complexes of corners where people are building up speed and making amazing passes or any really great shows of driver talent. You know, and why would you go to Spain in August? It's so bloody hot. Yeah, it was uh, it was a bit crazy. But uh, and, then, and then to see all the Spanish fans leaving after lap one yeah. after their man Alonso. And booing out. Hamilton and all these things. Yeah, it was all it was a little bit nuts. So, I, I mean, that, that for me was, I was anticipating. I was excited about that race, and it's too bad it sort of worked out how it did as far as just the layout and, the, and, the, and so little passing. And the other really, you know, highly anticipated race for me anyway is the Singapore night race. Which I think everyone's looking forward to. I, I'm certainly looking forward to. Jim and I are considering watching that one live, even though it would be starting at 1 in the morning, finishing at 4, or whatever it's going to be. Yeah, it's, something crazy for us here on the East Coast but of the we, U.S. We, it, it's so cool. It's like, well, might as well be nighttime for us too then. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know when it's going to come on, but it's definitely going to be screwball. It may be like start at 4 in the morning or something weird. Yeah, but who knows? Because the Australian ones, we can pretty much watch the night before. I mean, they come Almost. on at you know ten or eleven at night, new midnight. So I'm too old for that now. Yeah. so Jim has to wait. In for our me. in our younger days, we could have done such things. <laughs> but uh, now that we have real jobs and things, it doesn't work out quite so well. Um, the other um, thing I wanted to mention, uh, we previously talked about um, you know the Kerr system, the kinetic energy kinetic energy recovery system, uh, and then I don't know if we mentioned it when it when it came out. Jim, but, it's actually uh, pronounced Kerrs. There you go. Yeah. Um, the uh, BMW Sauber had a uh, a pretty big uh, situation in testing it, where the the car pulled into the garage after they're testing this. A mechanic goes and just touches the side part of the car and has a serious enough electric shock that it knocks him over, um, and so which immediately calls into question the safety of the system. Um, and, all, and the other the other problem, I forget who the team was they were working for, but uh, one of the contractors um, working on developing the system had an explosion. There was like a battery, the chemicals that you know, they put into the batteries or whatever, they actually had an explosion in the manufacturing of that. And um, I don't know if anyone was killed there, but I think some people were injured. So it's definitely um, something that people, you know, the FIA and the, the media and everybody's looking at is, you know, hey, we want to develop these cars and, you know, make advances here, but at what cost? So anyway, the uh, the the findings for that investigation have come back and apparently it was really hard for BMW to put, you know, narrow down the cause because all the testing they did, uh, they couldn't replicate the circumstances um, until they'd actually built a, a model of, hum- of a human body for the driver that simulated the conductive capacity of a human body, um, it was, which is really kind of strange. Part of the, the issue was a specific manufacturing fault in the steering wheel that allowed um, just enough electricity just through this capacity of this um, what is it? The capacitive, uh, capacitive coupling um, that uh, where the, you know the driver's body actually was helping to um, you know send electricity through the vehicle and actually carbon the, the carbon fiber body of the car does um, you know have enough of a it does you know connect uh, electrical current just enough to uh, shock the drive shock the mechanic 
without actually touching any piece of metal, which is, is kind of wild how it worked. But uh, BMW couldn't figure it out and couldn't figure it out, and eventually they, they worked out just this particular steering wheel. You know, the, the circuit, the, the current actually went through the driver's body and then into the mechanic. Um, so they've, they've worked it out, and they're confident they can work around that and, and you know, make sure to double-check, I guess, this manufacturing process a little bit better. Um, the good news is there was never any risk of really high-voltage shock. I mean, it was enough to... Um, to, to knock the guy over, but it wasn't, like, enough to, to stop someone's heart or, you know, there's not enough um, electricity going through um, any any of these places to, you know, potentially, you know, kill the driver or any of these other, you know, someone else who's, who's grounded outside of the car. But still, it's, you know, it's definitely something all the teams are going to be looking at and uh, paying close close attention to. But I just wanted to follow up on that. You know, they've, they've figured out finally what happened, and uh, it's just the combination of, you know, just the right amount of circumstances. You know, the driver just had to have just the right amount of sweat to him or whatever, and, the, you know, the, the, the <laughs> steering wheel just had the right, you know, the, the wrong, you know, problems with it, and uh, it all came together. But uh, at least that's been sorted out, and that mystery's been solved as far as the, the curse system. So what you're saying is the best thing for them to do is to keep the driver from sweating. Sounds like it. It sounds like a Goldfinger situation. Yeah, but those are going But, I mean, that's going to be on the car in, uh, in 2009. Um, it's going to be legal, although not required. So. Right. We'll have to see sort of how quickly teams adopt this, um, and especially if the smaller teams will even, you know, spend money on developing this, or if they just sort of figure, you know, they, their money would be better spent working on aerodynamics or some of the other areas where they can improve. But, uh, you know, that could be could be pretty interesting as, as 09 progresses um, to see sort of who does the curve system, if there are any future problems, and uh, sort of how that actually changes the performance of the cars Absolutely. in practice. Absolutely. So bearing all of this stuff in mind and uh, bearing the fact that we're going to Spa next weekend, I think we've come to our predictions. Yes. Now, I actually got fairly close with my prediction this last time. I predicted correctly Massa on the pole. Uh, I put Hamilton on for the win, though. If, uh, if he hadn't screwed around and gotten the flu or whatever, he might have he made my predictions accurate, but... I guess I'll uh, I'll let him slide this time. So are you on the, uh, you know, every race swings your opinion bandwagon and going to go all Massa for, for the next race, or what do you think? No, I am not going to go all Massa for this weekend. I, I still don't think that he is a championship driver. Hmm. I just don't. Yeah. And a couple more races might change my mind after all, but uh, also bearing in mind the fact that BMW could be strong at Spa. BMW has always been good for motor, and their cars seem to be happier at the bigger tracks. Um, you know, I guess the best way to say it is less downforce-dependent tracks, mm-hmm. um, which Spa is and isn't. Uh, I it used to be kind of downforce-dependent at a really high speed, but now it's, with the smaller engines, it's not as bad. Yeah. So I might be putting Kubica somewhere. I'm not sure if it's pole or the win. I, I, I'd maybe say... I think I'm going to go Kubica on the pole, Hamilton to win. How about that? Okay, well, in the spirit of uh, keeping things interesting, I've just been sort of looking at it, thinking about it. Ferrari's been doing a lot of PR work, um, especially a- after uh, Massa's engine failure and uh, and Kimi's rear suspension problem from uh, from Hungary. Um, they you know, had a lot of just press releases that basically just come out and say, hey, everything's fine, nothing, nothing to worry about, we haven't lost focus, no, we're still working on this year's car, we're still working on next year's car. And then they had to then to have another fairly disastrous weekend. I mean, they, they had the win, but to have, you know, several problems, several mistakes in the weekend. It certainly wasn't a clean win. Yeah. Um, I think they're just going to be working super hard, and everyone's just going to be on super 10-10 to their game. Um, 
I think they'll get Massa on pole, but that uh, Akimi will come through for the race. Wow. I think he's going to come Look through. Look at that. That's I a do. very Robin type of prediction there. You know, it, uh, it's just I, I feel like Raikkonen's really got to step it up, and they're, maybe they'll get uh, get the pressure on him from the start of the race and have him do well. But um, it's been a while since we've seen one of Kimi's just really brilliant drives. He's um, due. He's definitely due. I mean, he's going to you know just make some brilliant pass at Al Rouge or something. I don't know. But it's it's all going to um, – I think, I think it's it's – you know, it's time for him to step it back up, and I think maybe he can do that uh, next race. Well, I have to tell you, I, I really love Coke, but I honestly hope you're right next weekend. I This has got to be one of the first times I've pre- had a prediction that didn't involve Ferrari one way or the other. Yeah. And uh, I, I just feel like I feel like Ferrari is off form, and it might take him a race or two to get it back. Um, yeah, I think and we say it's it's so funny because we say all this about how Ferrari's off form and have all these. Just Massa won the race, and Ferrari's <laughs> leading the championship so, so, for constructors. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, all that uh, all that aside, I I, I think Hamilton's also going to be getting pretty hungry because he had a great uh, win streak and really competitive streak a few races ago that he's tending to lose, and I don't think he's going to be too happy about it. And you could tell that he did very he worked very hard to still show positive and um, you know. Stay, you know, stay good for the team. But I, I think Hamilton was pretty upset with his performance, and also I think with his gastrointestinal abilities. So um, <laughs> I think Hamilton's going to be pretty hungry to do well, at a, especially at a place like Spa too. So my only guess is that uh, if Hamilton has any chance of winning, he's going to do so with a performance box because the F1 show is supported by the performance box. A GPS-based lap timer, performance meter, and data logger, perfect for any car not to use at track days, autocrosses, or to simply see what your car can do. <laughs> Shipping worldwide from VBOX USA. For more info and the online store, go to performancedrift.com. That's performancedrift.com. So, got a couple of, couple of notes here. Um, we got an email from Leah Wade. Thank you for the email. She sent her email to feedback at f1show.com. She just uh, liked to point out that there were grid boys in Valencia instead of grid grid uh, Very grid interesting that was. And uh, they were they were kind of sheepish too. They kind of knew it was like, yeah, we, we we don't have boobs. They looked out. They look a little weird. Like, yeah, I'm holding this sign. <laughs> this doesn't really feel right. But uh, it hey, looked man. like an Abercrombie and Fitch yeah, commercial. Almost. Just goes to show, you know, men can do anything that women can. I yeah, guess. You I know, mean, come on, honestly. There. And uh, they they held the signs up straight. Yep, they, they were square to the ground. They did I a mean, good job. I'm sure they had the sponsors and everybody was happy there. And, so, and uh, they were taller, so the signs, you know, they could hold the them wind up. resistance. Yes, it was, it was, it was, a, good, it was yep. a good situation <laughs> yep, there. Good yeah. stuff. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, yeah, that's uh, you know, thanks for the email on that. Also, um, we do have the uh, our 2007 U.S. Grand Prix video that's been on YouTube and Vimeo and, and on our website for a long time. Um, Cinematography by Jim Lau, edited by Robin Warner. Yes, and. Uh, we had a, a video response to that actually, uh, just posted the other day, and I'm uh, looking through. It's what is it? Adrenaline Productions is the uh, yeah Bill, Bill Keith. Bill Keith, yeah, that's the guy, Bill Keith. So uh, check out if you just go well, a little to bit Talget Talladega Nightish. Isn't yeah. that two first names? <laughs> <laughs> so if uh, if you go to uh, on uh, YouTube.com/slash/f1show.com, the .com is spelled out F1Show D-O-T-C-O-M. Um, you can see our video there, and uh, you can click through to that and see the response. Uh, Bill's it was a cool video. Bill's video is very cool, and uh, he was there for it looks like the like the Thursday and Friday some of the additional um, you know media coverage and stuff that they got there in Indianapolis. Unfortunately, we uh, couldn't make it to that stuff because of our you know work schedules and all that. But uh, his video is very cool and worth checking out. So uh, you can uh, find that through a link from f1show.com 
or uh, click through on our on our YouTube page. And of course, we also got a comment on our F1 show site uh, explaining that we are slackers. Thanks, Tom. Uh, because we have not yet told you about Honda's serrated barge board. We promised to look into that. We did promise to look into that. I did look into that a little bit, and the closest thing I got to an explanation is that those do uh, kind of dirty up the airflow, and they do disturb the air um, less slick. And the idea is if you dirty up the airflow, that that pushes the streamlined airflow a little bit out farther and maybe helps the outer flugels and wings, and especially by the time the air gets to the rear wing, helps actually improve the flow to the rear wing by disturbing the flow closer to the inside of the car. That's the closest thing I got to a plausible explanation. It is not perfect. I am not a slacker, but uh, I Neither do... Neither are we aerodynamicists, though. <laughs> Neither, exactly. But, no, uh, with, uh, with all honesty, Tom, that is absolutely right. We said we were going to get back to it, and we kind of let that go. Uh, we love Mark Weber here on the show. Uh, we, we think he's a great driver. Uh, he, he's not perfect, but he, he's done well. He's been consistent, and I think he's uh, a, a good choice for Red Bull. I don't think he would necessarily be a world champion in a Ferrari, although I think he would look good in Ferrari red. I'll give you that much. <laughs> Is that an olive branch? Can we meet halfway? He's a good-looking man. Yeah. I'll, uh, hey. I don't think anyone can dispute that. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's hard to say. Yeah, he was doing well in Fuji in the rain until uh, was it Vettel uh, just ran the hell into him. But um, it's yeah. What, to, I think we can say that a lot about, about a lot of people. You talk about oh Adrian Sutil, he's just you know he's yeah. only bad because he's in the Sutil's Force India. Oh, he'd be a world champion if you're in the in the Ferrari. It's yeah, maybe maybe not. But uh, he does. I think he, he may deserve a, uh, a ride in a better car. But he's getting up there with the uh, the age yeah. and the experience and all I, that. Weber's which, Weber's a very strong driver. Yeah, I think. A lot of teams would be better. I think he would perform better. I think I think he could get more out of the Honda car. I was just thinking about the Honda. Yeah, yeah if, uh, and I honestly think I bet he would get more out of the Toyota car too. Yeah, he certainly could. And I, and I think uh, you know Toyota has had a, a good resurgence recently, but um, they may need a hungrier driver in there. Right. But I would not replace Weber. I would not replace uh, Alonso with Weber. Would not replace Raikkonen or Massa with Weber. Maybe, uh, maybe Massa. I wouldn't replace Massa right now. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> not now. No, <laughs> Kovalainen though. Yeah, me. Uh, Kovalainen yeah. might be the limit. Yeah, he, he might be Kovalainen level. Yeah, he he could be a good second driver. I think a very solid and reliable driver for uh, championship points in a more solid and reliable car. But uh, yeah, so no no hate to Mark Weber anyway, and uh, I don't think there's any. Uh, I mean, now that Jack Villeneuve's gone, we don't really have much hate <laughs> for uh, for F1 drivers. Fisichella a little bit, Coulthard, you know, crash Coulthard at it again, of course. Yeah. but you know, uh, n- yeah. So so there you have it. But uh, anyway, uh, there are several several ways to get in touch with us, as we've uh, just mentioned. Yeah, actually, several of them were utilized this time. I know around, it was great. Was and great. Uh, one of the other things I guess we should make use of is, uh, hey, if you uh, if you have a you know video cam or whatever and want to post a video response to us, yeah, that was on, cool on YouTube. Um, you know, if, if there's audio to it, we can probably play that on the show and uh, have you have you featured on there. So. You know, by all means, visit f1show.com. You can uh, play all the old episodes there if you want to go back and see what we talked about. You know, about last year's European Grand Prix, which obviously wasn't at Valencia, or uh, you know, see what our predictions have been in the past and how brilliant and uh, you know, amazing and uh, just awesome we are at predicting yeah. things. We're 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 darn near a hundred percent accurate with those. If by darn near you mean somewhere between zero and zero and a hundred and less and, than and you know, maybe seventy-five, closer to zero. Close, yeah. 
it's it's not gone well. But uh, anyway, so uh, you can leave us a Skype voicemail. We can play uh, play your audio right on the show. Um, our Skype username is just F One Show. I'll I'll run together like that. And uh, yeah, or send us an email or anything else. But uh, we'll be back in just a couple of weeks' time from Spa from Belgium. That is correct. And until It'll be then, sweet. yes. Till then, I am Jim Lau. And I'm Robin Warner, and I want to say one more thing before I got off. We have 99 fans on Facebook. 99. That is not a good number. 99. That is that is not. It's a much better number than the last last race podcast. But who's going to be that hundredth fan? I swear to God, if if you are a hundredth fan, you are going to win something someday. I, I promise you that. Because that's not, not really from us. Not from us. But we don't have anything somewhere. Uh, maybe maybe an autographed picture of Jim and I in the in the headquarters, <laughs> the brilliant F1 show studios. But but we need a we need a, who's going to be that hundredth fan? It um, could be you. Yeah, and hey, we got fans from India. We have fans all over from England, which is which is fantastic. Australia, New Australia, Zealand, yeah, Middle East, um, and definitely we keeping it real with some guys in the states. Yep. There's four of the one fans here in the states and South America. They're a little spread out, but we're here. So all who's going to be that hundredth fan? I, I want to see them. So we'll be watching and. Uh, Definitely just go to F1Show.com, click on the Facebook link, you'll go right to the group, or if you're already on Facebook, just search for F1Show and you can probably find it. And uh, like I said, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. I'm Robin Warner. And I'm Jim Lau. See ya. See ya.